Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Genuinely Interested Podcast. My name is Roy Bensvi. I'm your host. And this week, we have a very different podcast, if I can say that. A very interesting guy, Jack Sim, who is the founder of the WTO. Nope, not that WTO. The World Toilet Organization. It's a comical thing, obviously, but it's actually a very serious topic and issue. There's, I think he said 2.5 billion people on this planet that lack proper sanitation. And it's one of the biggest killers on earth. So lack of toilets, lack of proper sanitation, lack of clean water. Those are all big issues that for some reason don't really get the recognition they deserve, probably because it's really poor people in developing nations. Unlike other topics, it just it just doesn't get the same news coverage. It's not as interesting. But yeah, for whatever the reason that it doesn't, it just doesn't. And he's trying to bring it to the foreground of news, conversation, and he's doing a good job. He does it in a very comical way, always using humor, because this is a very awkward and uncomfortable thing to talk about a lot of times. Toilets and shit and farts. And he just very nonchalantly says all these things uh, around other people or when he does gives talks. So he's a very, um, very interesting character. I had a lot of fun talking to him. You'll see that at some point during the podcast, we get derailed a bit. We go off topic and into politics, like almost not every every podcast, but a good amount. It just seems like the world is very political right now, and uh, it's almost a new religion. Uh, religion doesn't even get as hostile as politics does nowadays. And while I don't agree with a lot of the things he said politically, I do think that basically I try to keep us on the topic, which is sanitation, toilets, talking about him. You know, we only had one hour, uh, and I didn't want to waste the whole time debating politics and superpowers and democracies, because that's not the topic of the podcast. And I feel like that's something that could easily happen on every conversation, on every podcast, uh, especially nowadays where everything's hyper-partisan and, and we're very divided on just about every single topic on this earth. So what I did like that we ended up discussing and was one of the essential things that he said is just be a better person love people care for people give people the dignity and the proper health care and facilities that we all need some of these things should be a human right but they are not so again great conversation with regards to some of the things he said about the US it almost seems like he's painting it out to be some evil superpower, which I don't think it is. Uh, I do, especially in comparison to China, I don't even see how you can compare those two on any level. I think the current president here is a blip on a larger time frame that will not bode well for American history. But the beautiful thing is, is that it changes every four or eight years versus China, you have one guy and he's going to be in power for the rest of his life. And I don't think that's something that we should aspire to. Again, I don't want to start listing out good, bad on each country. I do think everything's a work in progress. We are better in, in certain things now than we were 40 or 50 years ago. And the same for China, same for Singapore, same for most countries. Uh, more and more people are coming out of poverty. Uh, more and more people are have proper sanitation. And just generally, the trajectory of humankind is going into a uh, a better place. Sure, there are definitely a lot of problems with wildlife decimation and um habitats that, that we're taking away from uh, wildlife and climate change on the rise and sea level on the rise. And as far as those things, that, those are definitely issues as far as also maybe division, political division and, and hyper-partisanship that's happening right now. That's probably at an all-time high, which is unfortunate. Um, I blame Twitter. So 
there are a lot of issues, but I think overall, as a species, we are evolving and learning from mistakes that we've done. And like he said, uh, he has a lot of faith and trust in the younger generation. I do too, I guess. It depends on what topic we're talking about. I think they're definitely more aware of environmental issues, which is, in my opinion, one of the biggest topics. That's something that's always uh, at the top of my mind. So I, I definitely agree with that. Guys, go check out the documentary. It's called Mr. Toilet, the world's number two man. Very catchy title. I uh, stopped as soon as I saw it on Amazon. And that's why essentially I brought him on the podcast because after watching the documentary, I'm like, I definitely want to talk to this guy. He's hilarious. He's really smart, really good business guy. And just some guy, just someone with a with a conscience. He really just wants to leave the world a better place. So check out this episode. And this week's guest is Jack Sim. I hope you enjoy it. The Genuinely Interested Podcast. Hey, Jack. How you doing? Very good. Here in Singapore. How is Singapore now? Well, we just came out from a lockdown and uh, people are going shopping and slowly life's getting back to normal. So everything's open? People are encouraged to work from home where possible. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we need the economy to be moving. So it's uh, starting slowly to get to normal. Yeah. And it, it, Singapore wasn't hit too bad, right? As far as numbers, it's not like the rest of, uh, it's not like China or some other places. No, we're a very small country and it's a very well-managed country. Uh, we were at first one of the best in the world and then we forgot about the foreign workers dormitory and uh, it shot up and now everything's under control again. I think we'll be all right. All right. Yeah, I, I hope so because uh, every, every, a lot of places seem to have it under control and then this, there, there, there's talks about the second wave and even New Zealand, they took it down to zero. And now I think they said there's one or two. So it seems like it's almost impossible to completely make it go away. Yeah. Um, yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, you know, where you grew up, what's your background? So uh, I grew up in Singapore, 1957. Uh, it was a very poor country. In 1965, we became an independent country. The British went home and uh, our GDP was 500 US dollar per capita, same as Kenya. And we grew up uh, seeing the country turn from third world to first world and now is one of the top five highest per capita in the world. So it's an economic miracle. And we are managed by one ruling party since 1959 until now, no change. We go really? for election every five years and we elect back the same guy. Not the same guy, but the, the same group, uh, the same party. But are there different parties or is just one party that you, that, you know, what, like, what are the options? There are maybe about eight other parties, but um, mostly they're very fragmented. Never had experience before, so everybody saw the life is pretty good and didn't want to change. So normally they get about 70% of the votes, and on a very bad year, they get 60% of the votes. Wow. Wow. I, I can only think here in the U.S. if that would happen, because here every two, every two, after two elections, obviously you have to step down. But I mean, I guess if you have a working formula and I mean, what, what they've done in Singapore is pretty much an m- economic miracle going from one of the worst to one of the best in what, 60 years? Yeah. That's amazing. I think it's, uh, it's been it's a been, uh, very well managed country. Now we don't know because America is not uh, friends with China and we need both the country to trade and Anyway, we have a lot of money. So the, the country has about one trillion US dollar in reserve. So we will we'll get by. Okay. And you're the founder of the WTO. 
which is the World Toilet Organization, not to be confused with the World Trade Organization. And can you explain a little bit about that, how you came up with the name, what the WTO does? So um, in the world, there's about 2.6 billion people who don't have a proper toilet. And this is unimaginable, but uh, nobody wants to talk about it. So I thought, you know, because it's a taboo subject, people don't talk about it. So I started to play a pun on the World Trade Organization and call ourselves the WTO, the World Toilet Organization. The media love it very much. And I use humor to bring attention to this very serious subject because every year you still have about 2 million people dying of diarrhea. And uh, just because they didn't drink, don't have a clean water and the shit is going into the river and people don't have a proper toilet and flies are spreading the diseases, visiting the poop and then visiting the food of children. And it's just unimaginable. All this death and, and uh, morbidity that can be safe just because we don't want to talk about it. So I created the World Toilet Organization in 2001. And the day that we found it was called 19th of November. So we call that day World Toilet Day. And 13 years later, the United Nations General Assembly, 193 countries adopted our founding day as the official UN World Toilet Day. So right now, it is the official date and everybody is uh, commemorating, celebrating this day and using it to change public policy and building toilets. So we're very happy that we broke the taboo. And uh, now Prime Minister Modi has built 100 million toilets in India and President Xi is the toilet champion in China, building a lot of toilets for rural area now and especially rural school. And the tourism toilet in China has suddenly improved to be so clean that it was just unbelievable because some years ago, China toilet uh, was supposed to be very, very dirty. And suddenly you go to any tourist toilet and you see it's like Japan. So big transformation. Uh, we're very happy with the work that we are doing. I'm so glad you mentioned Japan. I was in Japan for the first time earlier this year in uh, February, I think. And I was just blown away. Their toilets are, you know, I, I'm from the U.S. and, you know, every, every place here has a toilet, but it's just a, it's a standard regular toilet. In Japan, it's like a toilet from the future. It has all these buttons and things coming out and water sprays and heat. I'm like, I don't know why the rest of the world doesn't have this. This is absolutely amazing. I, I was blown away. I couldn't believe the level of sophistication and technology that they invested in, in toilets. All, it's everywhere. It's not like only in nice places. It's everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, the Japanese has the highest quality of life anywhere on the planet. They have uh, everything done to perfection. Toilets, food, hygiene. You see, they celebrate the craftsmen. And it's not just chasing money. If you produce quality, you are a celebrity. Even if you are a tea ceremony master or a wood cover or making a samurai sword, you don't earn that much, but you are a sensei, which means a teacher. And, and they celebrate the teacher. You see, in, in the West, they celebrate money. And uh, that is where the human soul is just uh, diluted. Yeah, I mean, you've, you obviously live in Singapore, but you've spent time both in the West and in the East. Is that one of the main things that, that you see a difference is? Like the, the, yeah. what they celebrate in the East and then in the West? You see, it all goes down to folklore, right? When you have philosopher, ancient sage who teach human values, and then this grandmother passed down to the children, and every generation were told uh, about philosophy about how to live in community, how to care for others, how we are not as important as our community, our country. 
our village and how to um, be a bit humble. And the individualism is catching, it's like a disease, but we used to be not having this. Individualism is something that was learned uh, by the Westerner coming to Asia and says that, screw the village, you are the most important person. And I think this is not so good. It's better that uh, the community comes first. Mm. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah, because that is something that in the West, the individualism and, and exceptionalism for achievements done by the individual is something they put a large emphasis on. But you're saying in, in, in a large part of Asia, maybe not so much anymore, but definitely in the past, it was more about the community, more about being yeah. working together as a group. Yeah. We're losing it very fast, but uh, I got the feeling that the people are now coming into ecosystem again because they realize that being alone, being selfish is no fun. Mm -hmm. Because what's the use of trying to be awesome all by yourself? So I yeah. think um, communities are starting to come back and the internet is just help a lot. People can share a lot and I I feel good with the young people. The young people are not as selfish as the uh, let's say, my generation and the generation after me. Yeah. Oh, really? The, the millennials and the young people, I feel so good about them. They, they, want a, they want a good society. They don't want uh, all this strong individualism. They, they care about the planet. They care about black people. They care about all these other people. Uh, LGBT people, they, they do not discriminate as badly as the, the older generations. Yeah. yeah. Of course, I mean, the we're... very old one, they're very good also. So <laughs> after the <laughs> baby boomers... In between, yeah. Yeah. After the baby boomers, everybody starts to become a little bit more selfish, but the young people are starting to become pretty good. I'm quite uh, encouraged by that. That's awesome. So, uh, before you started WTO, uh, what were you doing? I, what led uh, you to start the WTO, essentially? <laughs> yeah, I was a very uh, bad student. I couldn't study very well because I was a very restless child. And um, the though I don't understand why are they teaching me all these theories. I want to get to action quickly. So I, did, I didn't do well in school. I never went to university. And I saved pre-university uh, and university. So I saved six years. And that gave me a very early start to do business. And then I realized that business is actually so simple. You can make money as long as you can find a problem. So I uh, started 16 businesses, uh, attracting investors and we started the Australian International School in Singapore from 32 students to 3,500 students. And then we started to be real estate developer. I started the biggest rooftop factory in Malaysia and then a brick factory and uh, investment, trading, everything. So by the time I was 40, I started to wonder what is the purpose of making money? I just realized that we're not really spending dollars. We're spending time. And every day is one day that is gone and never come back. And eventually you finish spending time and then you die. So I realized, wow, the real currency of life is not money, but minutes and time. hours and days. And so I started to make a countdown on my phone to my 80th birthday, which I think most people die around that time. So I have 40 years, which was 14,600 days. And every day is one day less. So just check the phone to tell you today how many days I have before <laughs> I die on my 80th birthday. And but I don't uh, know, maybe you'll get to 100. Uh, yeah, but it's really the oh, exactly today is 6,100 day before I die on the 5th of March 2037. 
So can you imagine less than 1,000 weeks, less than yeah. 1,000 Sundays, I'll be a dead, dead man, right? And um, that's why knowing when you die, at least you budget it, is very, very motivating because then I treasure every day. I treasure relationship. I go and tell my wife I love her several times a day and enjoying it because I appreciate the relationship. And everything becomes nice because I know I'm going to die. But in the past, we're always so scared. We say, no, don't talk about death. It's such a bad old man. And actually, no. When you know you're going to die, you treasure life. You cherish every moment. You don't quarrel with people. And you love the world. And you do good because you want to spend the time more usefully. Yeah. That's why I, a lot of times I have... I, I've talked with people about religion and religion is all about the afterlife and what are you going to do afterlife? And I just feel like there's so like, it's right. It's, I agree with you. There's our time here is so limited. We have to maximize our time on this earth. Forget about what could potentially happen in an afterlife. If it's there, if it's not there, but our time here is so limited. So what happens when you get to 80 and you're perfectly healthy and then you have another 10, 15, 20 years. And to live on bonus time, it's okay. <laughs> it's all right to get some bonus. But I think afterlife is a distraction because you are now living in this life. Why don't you treasure this one and make good use of it and go start helping people and be, be a nice guy? Exactly. But if you want to have an afterlife, you're still selfish because you're thinking of yourself all the time, my afterlife. Forget about your afterlife. Look at this life and use this life to do something good and leave the world a better place. And if you have an afterlife, it's a bonus. But do you know that the afterlife people doesn't relate to this life even if it's there? So it's actually a two different life. It's, it's almost like a two different person. So forget about afterlife. It's just somebody who promised you an afterlife so that they can get some donation from you every Sunday, you know. That's not really something to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, I, I was having this yesterday. My wife and I were on a hike and uh, I had this conversation with her because, you know, here in, in we're in New England, so it's in, in the east coast of the U.S. And there's uh, there's Lyme disease, there's ticks when you go hiking, there's bears, there's all these different things. And And I was making a joke. I was like, you know, everything on this earth is trying to kill you. You leave your apartment, there's cars, you can get run over, there's all these different things, something can fall on you. You go hiking, there's ticks, there's Lyme disease, there's bears. If you kind of focus on your energy on all the time on those things, oh, what could go wrong? Instead of just, you know what, that's life, let me enjoy it, let me do the max that I can on this earth with the time I have, rather than focus on what could happen if I die or something can hurt me. I think that's a much better way to live. But unfortunately, a lot of people are just focusing on the bad all the time. Oh, this is dangerous. I shouldn't go here. This is bad. You so know what I mean? Then you live a whole life of fear. Yeah. And then before you know it, you're an old man. So what's the purpose of living a whole life of fear? You have to live a life of love. Mm -hmm. You see, life is there for you to enjoy. And the highest level of enjoyment is when you love other people. Because when you love other people, you create a lot of positive chemicals in your body. If you're thinking of yourself, actually you become very miserable. Every time you try to be selfish, toxicity happens in your body. But if you are loving others, loving your children, hugging your dog, hugging your wife, so much nice feeling is flowing in your body. And why don't you do that with everybody? Because that is quality life. Quality life is not about buying a Ferrari. That's just to show off to other people. You don't need a Ferrari. You need love. And you need to give love. That's that that could be the title of the next book. You don't need a Ferrari, all you need is love. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some Beatles songs that all you need is yeah. love. 
<laughs> so, you know, I watched the documentary that, that you put out and I, I loved it. And we'll talk about how that came to be in, in a little bit later. But in the documentary, it, it felt very organic, like your employees uh, in the WTO, they, they, they kind of expressed what they were thinking. Uh, unlike maybe a few other documentaries where it feels very scripted, this felt very organic. And in the documentary, everyone called you a dreamer. But I think if you're an entrepreneur, you have to be a dreamer because you're essentially creating things that don't exist yet. And all the time, entrepreneurs are called dreamers. But again, like they just if, if you're not a dreamer, you're not going to be able to create things into existence that people haven't thought of yet. Yeah, dreamers is uh, it's fun, you know, it's like an artist, right? You you visualize the picture and then you paint it, right? Or along the way, you change your mind and some accidents of colors happen and you're very happy with the end result or you paint another one. So it's important to dream because we have to fantasize so that we can grow larger and larger and our mind space open up. And if you dream to make society better, People get toilet, people get healthy, and uh, whatever you do, if people benefit from your work, I think it's, uh, it's worth the living. Uh, if you can stop thinking about what others think of you, because when you die, nobody remember you, and if they remember you, you don't know because you are dead, right? So the most important thing is not whether you are famous or powerful or rich, but that you use your time usefully and live a life that you feel purposeful and have meaning. I think once you are able to find meaning, you just need some food every day and a bed to sleep. And that's all. The rest are not important. Very minimalist. Um... You know, in the in the documentary, and even in this conversation, like you're just you're a naturally a funny guy, and I think that helps you very much because the the topic that you're trying to talk about is very awkward for a lot of people, uh, even especially probably even more when you talk to to females than guys, because guys they tend to like to talk about toilets and bathroom and shit and stuff like that, and 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 women not as much probably. So have you found that that it's been helpful for you to, to bridge that gap and, you know, talk to people about this topic? Yeah, so long ago when I first started, I was wondering how can I do a good job as a Mr. Toilet? So guess what? I searched out another guy who is even more funny than me, and his name is Mr. Condom. <laughs> He's in Thailand. If you search Google Mr. Condom, you'll find his name is Michai. And he's a senator. And I went to Senator Michai and I say, you know, how did you promote condom to the brothels and to all this massage parlor and all that? And, and he went there to blow balloons and tell the girls that condom is a girl best friend. And he, he told me, if you can make people laugh and you don't mind people laughing at you, you will be able to catch the attention. And when they laugh at you, they are listening to you. So I say, great lesson. So I went out there to make myself look like a clown. And I don't mind saying all kinds of strange things and dressing up in the toilet or dancing at Hard Rock Cafe in a toilet costume. It's fine. For me, I'm not important. The most important is people start to become aware about toilets and they start talking about it. The moment they start talking about it, they can't stop. And my job is done and they carry on and they broke the taboo and they tell their friends. So having this movie called Mr. Toilet, the world number two man is available in Amazon Prime and uh, everybody can watch and then they will learn that to be an activist, it's not so easy. Yeah. You have to travel so much, have to leave your family at home, miss your wife, children, 
But on the other hand, it's very fulfilling. And then at the same time, the politician and the bureaucrats are wasting your time and and then your NGO is running out of money and your board members are resigning. So all kind of problems happen, but you never stop. You just keep going. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I everyone definitely go check it out. It's on, it's on Amazon. That's where I watched it. Um, it's free if, it, if you have Prime. And, uh, you know, for me, I'm... I'm I'm an adolescent when it comes to like any poop humor stuff like that. I love it. It always makes me laugh. And as soon as I saw the title, I was like, okay, I, I want to watch that. And then when you learn that it's about a serious topic, it's not just fun and games. Then it's like, oh, okay, that's that's even more interesting because what lures you in essentially is the title, right? It's almost like a clickbait title. But when you learn about it, it's like, okay, I you know, it's one of those things you know, but you don't really know. Like, you, I didn't know the extent of it. So, yeah, maybe let's talk a little bit about uh, toilet sanitation. Um, you basically, in the doc, you say a toilet is a sanctuary. It's a spiritual place, which, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of men would agree with. Um, but can you explain why? So, when you go to the toilet, you're usually not very happy because you're uncomfortable. And after you come out of the toilet, you are so happy because you are relieved. So the toilet is a place that creates happiness for everyone. And why can't you talk about it? You go to the toilet six to eight times a day. If you add all the time that you spend in the toilet, that is three entire years of your life, nonstop in the toilet. You spend three years in the toilet for a lifetime. And so, Good toilet culture is good quality of life. If you can talk about eating and drinking, you must talk about what happened after it comes out. And when you don't talk about it, then the problem accumulates, right? Today, if you look at the American toilet cubicle, it has no privacy and nobody talks about it. If you're walking past washing your hands, you see everybody's underwear, you know? And you can actually look from the gap into the cubicle and see the guy actually shitting over there. I mean, this is almost like half open defecation. And I <laughs> I would really think that the design of the American cubicle is so outdated. People need privacy. You cannot have such a big gap at the bottom, right? You know, in, in Japan, it's only like four inches. In other countries, like six inches. And here you have like two feet, you know? And, <laughs> and I think the American privacy is, is not, uh, not respected. So we, we should redesign this kind of thing. And then also, the ergonomics of the toilet, you have to make it, such that it's very, very easy to clean and to be dry. So the World Toilet Organization is now setting World Toilet Standard. And we're going to publish this one year later. Right now, all the professors in the world who are experts in toilet are joining this study. And I think we have to have very good toilet culture. The toilet is a sanctuary. You feel safe. You go there. And when you come out, you don't have to feel so sheepish like you've done something wrong. No. Going to the toilet is just a joyful thing. I couldn't agree more. And and, and I'm so glad you mentioned the design in the American toilets. The amount of times I thought I thought this when you go in into a uh, even in, in the airport or, or anywhere public where I don't know, it, it's you'll have like a urine or, or maybe two urinals and then one stall. And the stall is like you said. There's a gap in the middle. There's a gap on the on the bottom where you can see like knees to, to bottom. And once you're inside, like I feel like everyone can see it's it's so uncomfortable. And everyone yeah. outside is uncomfortable as well because nobody wants to look at that. And it's such a weird. I have no idea how they design it. And as far as like the, the toilets, before I went to Japan, I just thought a toilet was a toilet. And after going to Japan, I was like. Everyone, it's 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 caveman like what, what we're using here in the U.S. and in the rest of the Western world. It's just it's 
the Japan is, is literally light years ahead when it comes to sanitation and toilet. It's just unbelievable how different it is. Correct. And, and I'm now helping Japan to promote their toilet culture because Japanese have a lot of things that are famous for like sushi and manga, their cartoons, comics and, and music and everything. But they also have very, very good toilet culture, best in the world. So I'm going to promote Japanese toilet culture because the West didn't enjoy that toilet as much as the Japanese. So you have to learn from them. And they also have uh, uh, like an audio option on the toilets, which is a big thing. I, I never even thought of this, but it's, you know, sound is a big thing, obviously, when going to the toilet, especially if it's a public one, there's other people around. And they just have an audio option where it's a music or there's some uh, something that basically drowns out the noise that you're creating. Yeah. And, and it's amazing. Japanese are very shy, yeah. so, especially the women. So they used to um, mask the fat sound while they're defecating by uh, flushing the toilet so that the, the flushing sound will drown out the farting sound. So <laughs> Toto invented this recording that you don't have to waste water. You just push the button and the flushing sound comes out. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I think that if you make type music in the toilet, uh, that will mask the sound and it, it's also sound better. You don't have to yeah. do that. Just, just play pipe music in, in the toilet. It'll be good. Here they put the sink on. They'll just put the sink on as, as uh, something to set to drown out the noise. Um, so as far as, as, as countries that lack sanitation or sanitation and, and, and toilets, who are the, the leaders who need it the most? I think the Indian subcontinent has a lot of people. So that is um, very lacking. And also in the world, four and a half billion people's shit is not treated. That means people might have a toilet and they flush it, but it goes to the river, goes to the lake, it goes to the sea. And I think untreated sewage is, is a big pollution problem. So I think this is serious. And Latin America, we go to Brazil, 50% of the shit is not treated. So we help them um, go to Senate hearing and we create the World Toilet Summit. All the experts come together in Brazil and we uh, manage to work with them to pass a law that private company can now invest in public water company on their sewage treatment. And uh, now they are on their way to attract investment and treat their shit. So I think that a lot of countries like Africa, um, they they have, uh, they need toilets. And, and I think we have to price the externality of not having toilet. Not having toilet costs more in terms of diseases, and loss of productivity and loss of food mandate than having toilets. So can you imagine if you go to school, uh, you are a girl, adolescent girl, you go to school and you are having your period and there's no place to change sanitary napkin and the boys are looking at you, then you drop out of school and then they don't get education. So not having toilet has a lot of repercussions for adolescent girls. And eventually, if you are not educated, you will go on the poverty spiral. So this is a toilet is so important for health, for education, for future career, livelihood, everything. Yeah, I mean, uh, I saw a report recently. Um, I think it was in the Lancet that concluded a poor water sanitation and a lack of safe drinking water take a greater human toll than war, terrorism, and weapons of mass destruction combined. And in India, 90%, and I think this was in the documentary, 90% of surface water in India is contaminated. 1.5 million kids die annually from poor sanitation. I mean, these are some unbelievable stats that you don't really hear about in the news. 
Yeah, this is the problem because you see, when a disease is uh, killing poor people, nobody uh, cares, right? But if you see how many COVID deaths uh, in, in the world up till today, you know, how many people, I think it's kind of like half a million, half a million people died. But before half a million people die, even when it's like 80,000, 90,000 people die, the whole world closed down. So why is it that when 2 million people die of diarrhea every year, nobody cares? And I can give you some more bigger number. 9 million people die of hunger every year and nobody cares. Yeah. And then when diseases can spread to rich and middle class. Suddenly, everybody cares. So I think the world is very unfair. We should treat all deaths as important, and we should think about a life as a life. And, and COVID has shown us that we discriminate it so badly. Yeah? And you know what's the outflow, the fallout of, of, of uh, COVID is that more people are dying of hunger now yeah. than dying of the disease. The economic oh. problem that it creates is just terrible. Yeah. But even, yeah, the economy is always going to be first, even now in COVID, right? If, if, if COVID were to kill babies and not mostly older people or people with pre-existing conditions or, or smokers, I think we would treat it maybe differently, but what we're doing is saying, you know, it doesn't kill. It's not as as an efficient of a killer as we thought it was. So let's just let people go out and take some minimal precautions so we can keep the economy up and running. Um, I think there's always going to be a price on human life, and we're always going to try to make the economy run and grow GDPs rather than maybe putting the the putting humans first. You see, if GDP is more important than human life, then you are the virus. You have a virus inside your head. It's not COVID. It's yeah. just stupidity. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a, it's a weird thing that, that people have. It's countries and governments for them, I just think that it's always going to be economy first before people. Unfortunately, I think that's the reality. Maybe it'll change with time. I hope it does. But right now, we're seeing this all over. People, they're just letting people go out in the streets because of whatever political affiliation that they're with, right? If you see on the right, they're letting them come together in Oklahoma. And on the left, they're letting them go out to protest. And the, 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 the virus doesn't know political affiliation. The virus will attack everyone. But unfortunate, yeah, it's there's a lot of there's a lot of politics in this as well. Yeah, the people shouldn't follow these politicians. Yeah. If they're going to commit suicide just by doing that, they're silly. So what are the big hurdles to get proper sanitation to the poor? Is it is it like you said, politicians, government, bureaucracy? Uh, you know, how do we how do we change this? It's the same as the cell phone. The poor didn't have money, and then when the cell phone came, suddenly all the poor have a cell phone. So where did they get the money? Yeah, I mean, did did the money drop from the sky? No. When they need to have a cell phone, they suddenly start to become entrepreneurial. They start to work harder. They earn some extra money and they get a phone. And they also have money to charge the phone, $2, $4 a month, and they are calling each other. So I think that aspiration for toilets will get people toilets. What you need to do is to promote the awareness and when a lot of people want to get toilet, the politician will use it as a election issue and people will get toilet. So I think that drive the demand and the supply will come. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a, I guess it's a little bit more difficult than a phone. I saw in the, in the documentary, one of the 
girls in China, she was saying that, oh, we all need to be connected in this day and age. So a phone is important and it's not as expensive, but sanitation is a very big thing, right? It, you have to put down pipelines, infrastructure, toilets, there's a re-education of the community, uh, discarding of, of the, all these different things. It's just, there's a lot of, there's billions of dollars that need to be invested in some of these places. And I'm, assume, I'm assuming some of these are more rural so maybe further away, maybe they need to use new technologies, like maybe some of the stuff that uh, the Gates Foundation is working on. It's just, it's oh, more no, like... I think that the off-grid toilet uh, doesn't need a long pipeline. They can be treated on-site and it can be very cheap. And a, a house toilet could cost anything from um, $100 to $300. And you can have a nice big house with... Uh, with really? a, a simple twin pit toilet treatment by composting toilet. So you do not need this big infrastructure investment if you are living in the village. In fact, you can recycle it into fertilizer after it's dry. So there's a lot of technology that can make people afford to have a toilet, but because they are used to not having toilet, they need to be trained to have toilets. You know, the way to make them have toilet is jealousy. Get some people in the village to have a toilet and brag about it and soon everybody will have to have a toilet because they can't stand other people looking down on them. So I think this is markets, you know, you have to use those kind of formal fear of missing out. Yeah? <laughs> Has, have you seen that work? In like, in yeah, work works wonders. When the whole village don't have toilet, nobody cares. And when there's a trend, it's almost like a fashion that, wow, people are starting to have toilet and more and more people have toilet and we don't have them. They're laughing at us now. And then suddenly it's like cell phone. So fashion would change things faster than uh, rationality. And you don't have to donate money. You just have to make them want to have toilet. So, do you? I mean, you're an entrepreneur. Do you think entrepreneurs should focus more of their efforts on on social impact work versus trying to build the next uh, Uber or Airbnb? I think that all these startups, when they have VC venture capitalists, and all the money goes to those investors, it's not fair. Can you imagine you driving an Uber and you have to pay 30 cents to a dollar to Uber? Why should you do that? It's just an app. And so I think we should create platform cooperatives so that the drivers owns the app, not Uber, not Lyft, but the drivers themselves owns the app. And you just need to collect very little money, maybe two cents, and you would have enough money to employ the manager, the tech, the engineers to service the app and make sure everything is working. You don't need to give money to the VC and do all these promotions and everything. I think that if we are able to distribute wealth, every taxi driver can join and, and be a cooperative. The world should think about communities rather than becoming a unicorn and a billionaire. You know what is the true definition of a billionaire? A billionaire should be a person who improves the life of a billion people. No need to have money. Just go and improve life of other people. I think that should be the real measurement. Because if you have money, nothing to do with anybody else. It's just, you keep your money. Whereas if you do good, everybody's life gets better. I think that should be the way. Yeah. Yeah, definitely making people have a better life is is, uh, is a lofty goal. But I think a distribution of wealth starts to toe the line with communism and socialism. And that's, that's not something that'll work very well in the US. And I think most places where at least people have gar have gathered wealth over generations and as far as 
But don't you think that will de-incentivize VCs to invest if they can't recoup the investment 10, 20, 30, 50, 100x, whatever it is? And won't that de-incentivize entrepreneurs from starting something if you know someone if an uber driver is getting a tiny percentage of of the shares they're not going to be able to it's not fair you see about 80 billion air owns half of all the money in the world what kind of the Plus, uber is not even uber is not even uh they're not even um what's the word profitable, profitable. profitable yeah they're, they're not profitable but who's profitable the owner the shareholders, right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I think all these people are doing what's called a Ponzi scheme. They're just out there to fleece money. I think everything we do, let's have good intention. And if we're out there to... You think socialism is not good? Redistribution of wealth is not good? I tell you. Capitalism has been helpful for a while, but look at today's capitalism. It's so extreme that it creates poverty. It creates homelessness. So is, commun- so is communism. If you look at North Korea, if you look at some of the communist countries, if you look at a one-party state like China and other countries, they haven't done very well for themselves. Cuba, like say they haven't done very well. I don't know about North Korea. Probably they didn't do very well. But China got 700 million people out of poverty. If you go to China today, it's more modern than America. You do the subway in New York, and on a rainy day, all the rain is coming down onto the track. What kind of a historic system is that? It's all broken. All the infrastructure in America is broken. You go to Kennedy Airport, you go to all these airports in America, there looks like historic broken cities. You go to India, New Delhi airport, you're shocked. They are so modern. So the West is just living in the past. Yes, in the past, America is quite advanced, but now you should travel. And if you start to travel, you realize that you are shocked because even technology, the East is caught up. So if you look at uh, the direction, the Western Hemisphere has reached its development stage and is now entering the age of decadence. It's just printing money and no more building the future. Only a few companies are very, very high tech in Silicon Valley and in Seattle or some, but the majority of America is just Living on a Ponzi scheme, you're just doing quantitative easing, printing another few trillion dollars and another few trillion dollars. They come to a point nobody wants to buy the US dollar, right? Productivity, you have to produce something in order to earn a decent life. You cannot keep on printing money. So I think that the pendulum of capitalism has overswung. When it was in the mid-range, it's actually very good. And now it's extreme. It, has, it is now creating a very poor distribution of wealth. Now, if you think about China, it was a communist country. Everything don't work. Then what did they do? They turned capitalist. And now they got people out of poverty. And then what will happen? Eventually, you will have a lot of ultra-rich just like America. And then it has to swing back again. So the pendulum in the mid-range, whether it's socialism or communism or capitalism, in the mid-range, it works. In the extreme, both doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, I could, you know, I I agree with some and I don't agree with, with a few other things, but I do agree that democracy, capitalism with a touch of socialism, like Scandinavian countries, we you know yeah. we help care like Canada, like Israel, like some other countries in Europe. Yeah. Those countries tend to do better. I, I don't think everything should be for profit, especially yeah. edu- things like education, things like uh, healthcare. Those things should not come at a cost. And and and, and um, so yeah, with that I agree. 
with some of the other stuff, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll agree to disagree. But with you that, see, I you cannot think in black and white. You see, when you say America has democracy, it doesn't. I mean, why is the black life not worth anything? I mean, uh, that's true. Democracy doesn't work like that, right? Yeah. Democracy means everybody have a right. And well, everyone has the same equal. right here. Everyone has a right to vote. Everyone has a right to do everything. If there there are aspects of the country that obviously exhibit some uh, bigotry, some racism, but I think overall, you know, if 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 you're in the U.S., I think you're doing fairly well. Just if you look at comparatively to the to the rest of the world, if you go to China, right, they have re-education camps for Uyghurs, right? The Muslim. Yeah, you're just reading some stuff. Take that doesn't exist. No, they have. They have. Yeah. And and America is the biggest friend of Saudi Arabia for chopping off head on weekends, beheading, execution. And America says Saudi Arabia is doing the right thing because this is my best friend. He buys so much weapons. So what kind of uh, promoter of democracy says? Not really. And if you have very good democracy, no no why interest. did you end up choosing a crazy guy to be the president? If, no, I, if, no, I don't know. That's if a good you, question. I don't know. <laughs> if if, if have you no have an efficient democracy, you know what will happen? Good people will come up. But you don't have, you have only two parties. You don't yeah. even have three parties. How could no, you have I'm a democracy? Right. Look at Nordic country, you know, in Scandinavia. Yeah. The person who is leading the country looks very ordinary. He doesn't feel like he's a god or something like that. He's, he's not an emperor, you know, he's just a normal person. And this is a mature uh, democracy. If you want to follow, follow the Nordic countries, the, the Norway, the uh, Sweden, Denmark, uh, Finland. This, these I are think, good countries. These are great countries, yeah. I, I think it's they're obviously very different. They're much smaller countries. They they don't have a lot of the same, you know, it's a different culture. There's a lot of different things that are different. I would never, I, I never chose Trump. I would never choose Trump. I can't wait to get Trump out of office. I don't want to get too much into politics because politics, I feel like, is the <laughs> so dirtiest. To prove to you that you don't really have democracy. Right? Everything you talk about, oh, democracy. No, no. But if you are such a democratic country, you can't possibly have an idiot as a president. I mean, you, you it's it's complicated. You can, whoever gets into power obviously like the, the here the, the problem is it's not the popular vote that wins right like hillary still has three more million votes but the way it's so how split can up, that be democracy if, if the popular vote don't give you the president that's just the way this is <laughs> something is I, I, wrong, right? it's also, I agree with you 100 percent that two parties can in no way in shape or form represent 300 plus million people you have to have more parties. I don't. I don't agree with either party. I don't agree with the left. I don't agree with the I right. I tell you another thing. There's the no party. That the Americans I, don't even want to go to vote. And if you don't want to go to vote, how could you have a democracy? They, <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, they want they they want to vote. They want to vote by the problem is everything is is partisan right now. That is the I think the biggest issue. I think if. One side says, I agree with this. The other side, knee-jerk reaction is to say, I don't agree with it. And I think that's yeah. the biggest problem right now. So there's, the no middle, there's, no there's no middle ground for them to have a conversation. Like this one we're having right now. Like if I think if, if, if there were more formats, even like how they debate on the news, it's, it's, it's just made for headlines. It's not made for an actual conversation and for people to come out of it saying, you know what, wow. I really learned something out of this. And I think that's that's really unfortunate. It doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. So that's why you have to say and be honest to yourself, your democracy is not working. Go copy the Nordic state democracy and learn from them. I that wish they would. That, yeah, <laughs> I wish they would. I just don't know if they... It's. I don't think it's that easy to get a country that's super... Um, divided right now on on every on every every subject they're super divided right now and just just say hey 320 or 30 million people go copy a country or or a few countries of a few million people i just uh 
in theory, that's a great idea. I would love that to happen. Yeah. I just I just don't see it happening. I don't think it's realistic, especially not right now, especially not with this president. Yeah, I hope. Uh, but maybe he wins again. And <laughs> I, I, really hope not. I hope not. Let's stay so let's talk a little bit about the media. I know I I uh, I, uh, I know you don't have too much more time, so I want it's to talk. Seven to minutes, about. yes. Okay. Yeah. They say I know every every minute is important for you. You're counting the minutes. Yeah. Um. So you understand the media very well. I mean, you know how to gain attention from them, and you come up with really funny campaigns or catchy campaigns. You know, how do you come up with those? So basically, you just keep thinking about toilets every day and all the ideas will come especially when you're in the toilet of course right yeah. so so if you want to achieve something the whole world will conspire to work with you to make it happen and this book the alchemist by uh That's a good book yeah Quello, i think it's really really true because what i experience is that if you really want to do something good, everybody joins in. And it doesn't cost money. It just unites people's effort together. And I think through the last 23 years where I've been, I've been working for free for 23 years. I don't earn a single cent. I retired when I was 40. Now I'm 63. And I think that this journey has been very, very good. And I encourage people to find something which can make their community better and go and do it because you will enjoy your life so much when you start to give love. Love is such a thing that if you give, you get more. But you're not giving because you hope somebody do something in return. No need. The act of Helping others and doing something which makes you feel good is a reward instantly itself. So keep on doing that and your body will be healthy. If you keep on focusing on how to grab from other people and to become selfish, you eventually get sick because the toxicity in your body, it builds up, it accumulates. So be a free person. Enjoy your life, love your family, love your friends, love your community, love your country, and uh, love the whole planet. Don't start to divide to say we are Congress, uh, we are we are this Democrat, and you are Republican, and you are communist, and we are democracy. Come on, everybody goes to the toilet. We are all equal, and we are all human beings. Don't go and kill Iraqis or Syrians and treat them as other people. They are flesh and blood like you. Don't discriminate black or white. Just live like everybody is human like you. And you will start to realize that you are humble and you are no more full of hatred and arrogance. Yeah. I think that's a good good point to end on. Toilet is the uniter. Toilet unites us all. And uh, I think the only thing I would I would add is that when uh, certain people go in, I think power is intoxicating and more than anything else. And a lot of people in power tend to abuse that power. And that's globally. That doesn't happen only in certain countries or certain businesses, but globally, people tend to abuse power if they haven't. If it if it goes unchecked, if they just have it, um, yeah, these are weaknesses, you know. They are weak weakness. people. If yeah. you abuse your power, you are a weak person. Because why would you want to impose and bully other people? You don't need to bully people if you are a person of love. If you are a person of fear, then you have to bully people because. You are weak. So be strong, be loving, and be borderless. And enjoy <laughs> your toilet every day. Thank like you very Bruce, much. Like Bruce Lee said, be like water. And yeah. um, 
I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really had a lot of fun. Uh, you're a really funny guy and you do amazing work. Um, where can people find you? Uh, where can they donate or help if, if they want to? Yeah, go to worldpilot.org and uh, you can message me as well. You go to internet, you will find uh, how to contact me through the website. And, and my email is uh, jacksim at worldpilot.org and you can email me as well. So uh, you go to my Facebook, go everywhere. You, you will find a lot of videos, a lot of uh, information on Google. Just Google Mr. Toilet and also watch the film, Mr. Toilet, the world number two man on Amazon Prime. Thank you yeah. very much. Check it out, guys. It's been great. Thank Thanks Bye -bye. so much, man. Take care.